Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. from bringing you actual examples of frankincense and myrrh in incense form. In fact, you can still buy it. Usually it's in the sticks of incense. I keep that in stock at home. I like to meditate. Um, and then I use frankincense almost all the year. And then in Lent, I switch to myrrh. And they are very fragrant, but they're also very pungent. And I'm not going to just spring incense on you. Um, I might be looking extra priestly today, but I'm not going to do that to you, open it up with incense and, and, and a censer. So I will remind you, though, that as has been our custom even before the pandemic, on the Sundays when we have the opportunity to conclude our worship service with anointing and prayer, that the balm we use here at Crozet United Methodist Church is infused with both frankincense and myrrh, and it can be very overwhelming to your senses. And so that way, if you are looking for the opportunity to smell it, you will have that in the days ahead. Uh, we either apply it to the forehead or to the hand, whichever you, or both. I've had people ask for both. However you would like to receive it. So you will have the opportunity to smell frankincense and myrrh without being blasted by the potency of incense. And so we will share that with you in the days to come. But over the course of Advent, Christmas Eve, and Christmas Day worship, we were inspired by that O. Henry short story, The Gift of the Magi. And as today we celebrate on Epiphany the arrival of the Magi to worship Christ, what we will find is that there is some really intriguing conclusion to the story of O. Henry's short story. And that is after he has portrayed this beautiful young couple who, out of love and devotion to one another, sought to give the perfect Christmas gift. And she sold her long, beautiful hair in order to buy a pocket watch chain for her husband. And he sold his pocket watch that had been carried down through the generations in order to afford some beautiful tortoiseshell combs to adorn her hair. And then they discover that they have kind of subverted the intention of Christmas, for they have now given each other gifts that don't have much practical and worldly value. But O. Henry reframes that for us, and I'm going to have for you the conclusion of his story here on the screen. O. Henry writes, The Magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderfully wise men, who brought gifts to the babe in the manger. They invented the art of giving Christmas presents, being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones, possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication. And here I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in a flat, who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures of their house. But in the last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. Of all who give and receive gifts, such as they are the wisest, wherever they are wisest, they are the Magi, so says O. Henry. Now, O. Henry was trying to reframe this short story. And even now, if you ask people that have read the O. Henry short story, The Gift of the Magi, you have people who have usually one of two really strong reactions to it. That was a beautiful yet somewhat sad story 
or other people who go, that's a horrible story. It's tragic. Why would you want to read that story? But O. Henry is reminding us that sometimes what the world sees as sad and tragic, in fact, is not. Because the most beautiful thing about what that couple did for one another is sacrifice so that the other would experience just the depth of their love and their devotion. And that is precisely what Christ has modeled for us. God has continually shown God's people throughout the ages in the scriptures that the most beautiful and blessed gifts are those that are not cheap. They are not found abundantly. They are those that are sacrificial and very poignant. And those are the gifts that God has given to us. Those are the gifts that God asks us to give to others as well. And so O. Henry is saying that, yes, even though at the end she's got combs and short hair, which I can affirm for you is of absolutely no use. But he had a pocket watch chain and no pocket watch. What they really had was a true experience and an example of how deep their love went and how devoted they were to one another that she would sell her prized possession, her hair, to bless him with a chain for his watch. And that he thought so much of her that he would sell this possession that had been carried down through the generations just for an opportunity that she might adorn her hair with a gift that he wanted her to have. There's a beautiful poignancy to their gifts. But yet the world will look at it and go, well, what good are combs with no hair? And what good is a pocket watch chain with no pocket watch? Instead, it was the expression, the fulfillment of their desire to show how important they were to one another. There are a lot of gifts in the world that the scriptures have great value in that the rest of the world looks at and goes, that's a silly gift. Very few people would choose to give a toddler or a newborn gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And there are very few people who arrive at a birthday party for a young child and go, guess what? I got you a stock certificate. They're not going to be very happy. You could even show up with a land deed, and they're going to go, that's, that's it? That's what I got? That is not very exciting. Now, the older we get, the more that we go, I would love for somebody to pass me some real estate, especially if they paid the taxes on it. But we're talking about a very specific age. We're talking about the age that we would equate nowadays with Generation Alpha, the youngest of those in our midst. And over the course of Advent and Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we have had the opportunity each time we've gathered to look at the generations that are present here in our church. We are very blessed to have generations that run all the way from the greatest generation down to Generation Alpha. And hopefully, every time we gathered and we focused on those generations and the events and the experiences that have helped to shape and form them, impacted them profoundly, and had an opportunity to look at some of the defining characteristics of those generations, we've developed a little appreciation for each other. I mean, we usually have an affinity for our own generation. I'm Generation X. You don't have to tell me to like Generation X. Anybody that's been through some of the main things I have who grew up watching actual music videos on MTV or anybody who grew up playing Atari and Nintendo and then later Sega or someone who says, oh my gosh, all of my books and my folders at school were decorated with Lisa Frank. You are my people. I love you already. But for other generations, sometimes there seems to be a disconnect. Seems like maybe we're too far apart to really appreciate what we had experienced. I remember hearing a story this year from one of our church family about how all they really wanted when they were a child 
was a 007 briefcase. I was like, why would you want that? I don't understand. Probably just like that generation wouldn't understand why more than anything, I wanted a Shira sword when I was five. So we have these differences in how we perceive, but we also have differences in how we manifest blessings for the world and for the church. And that's a beautiful thing because the more generations we have, the more diverse our gifts, the more beautiful we are able to experience and share what it is to be a part of the church. And so the more generations you have, the more blessed you are, but also the more that you can bless. And that's what God was trying to teach God's people throughout the scriptures. And that comes home to us today. You'll notice that they didn't just give Jesus gold. They gave a variety of gifts, and each of those gifts is very luxurious and expensive and has great value for trade. But those gifts also have factors and indicators that are tied to them. They are alluding to something bigger. Gold was something that the whole world wanted to have. Everybody wanted gold. They had just started to really get into coins and currency, but gold had always had a value. And it was so valuable that they gilded everything in the temple because they believed that that sparkle and shine that came from gold was worthy of showing their admiration and their worship of God. And so everything had that smooth covering of gold on it. And the world understood gold. But plenty of people, you say, well, here's 10 pounds of frankincense and they're going to be left scratching their head. What am I going to do with frankincense? Sure, it might smell kind of pretty and that really depends on who you are. But what's really important about frankincense is that it was a priestly attribute. It was something the priesthood used every single day to worship God. And Jesus is the priest, the high priest, and that he would one day make the ultimate sacrifice. And so not only giving frankincense was something that was very valuable and something that would be an asset to his family as they fled Herod and went to Egypt, but he was, God was showing God's people in the retelling of the story that Jesus has a place among the priesthood. And this is reiterated throughout the epistles, the letters in the New Testament. But what's even more is that Jesus didn't just receive frankincense, Jesus received myrrh. And myrrh was a very costly resin. Sometimes it was used as an ointment, sometimes it was used purely as, as incense resin, and sometimes, as I said previously, it was used to infuse oil and used to anoint the dead. It's quite probable that that was in the nard that the nameless woman used to anoint Jesus before he was betrayed. It's also quite likely that it was myrrh oil that the women were bringing to the tomb to anoint his body the day that we had our first Easter. So there is something about the death and the sacrifice of Jesus for us on Good Friday that is also indicative in the receiving of myrrh. But all of those things the world would have seen as valuable, but for different reasons. As Christians and believers in God, we look at them with different eyes. Just like O. Henry was inviting us to look at the Christmas happenstance of that couple with different eyes. Consistently in the church, we are asked to see things that the world looks at as strange or bizarre or unimportant or even unlavish and recognize just how profoundly costly they are. 
And this is one of those times here. Today, in the life of the church, as the first Sunday, not only of the new year, but of the month, we celebrate Holy Communion. And for a lot of the world, they look at this and they go, that's not a very impressive spread you have up here. In fact, when I unveil most of it later, you're going to go, okay. But sometimes the world looks at this and they struggle to see why we bother I remember one time teaching a group of children about communion, and as we were looking at the communion table, which I had set up, and in my last church, we had everything was brass, so it was very sparkly gold, and we had all of that set up, much like we have here today, and one of the kids said, that's not what I want to eat. Why would God give us that? Why wouldn't God give us a happy meal? Because God is not Ronald McDonald, that's why, but not everybody wants a happy meal. For instance... If you know anything about Happy Meals, you don't have to just have a cheeseburger or a hamburger. You can get chicken nuggets, right? Even there's divergence there. Or, as what many a teenager has said, I would rather have pizza, frankly. If we have to have fruit of the vine and bread, can't we just have pizza? No, we cannot have pizza. First of all, that's very culturally significant pizza. And second of all, it's not something that everybody wants. And imagine if I stood up here and had to take your order what kind of pizza you would want. There's always somebody who wants Hawaiian. Always. So what ends up happening is that we are trying to tailor the gift to the one who will receive it, thinking that that reveals the love and the intentionality behind the gift. But this gift here is quite genius. It is to give something that looks rather ordinary. I'm sure very few of you on the biggest meal of the year, whether that's Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter dinner, your birthday, whatever your biggest meal, maybe Super Bowl, I'm not judging, whatever your biggest meal of the year is, very few people are like, guess what? We got Welsh's grape juice and bread. Very few of you will do that. What happens at a meal is that, yes, we are hoping to serve something that those that are gathered with us will enjoy eating. And yes, sometimes they have some significance attached to it. That's why most people eat turkey at Thanksgiving. But we're also trying to make sure that we provide the occasion for us to enjoy the fellowship that goes with food. And that is what the focus of this is. Not only are we as the body of Christ this morning going to be invited to join the fellowship of receiving Holy Communion, but God meets us here. And that is the promise that Christ has given us. Wherever two or more of you are gathered, I am there with you. And so it is that when we gather at Christ's table, Christ meets us here. And not only meets us here when we are served, but returns with us, not just to our seats, but into the world. A piece of Christ remains with us when we take the body and the blood of Christ. And that gift, while it looks very poor, very plain, and very uninteresting is perhaps one of the greatest gifts that we can receive. That God would give a piece of God's self to us. And not just once a year, once in a lifetime, once a month, but whenever we so desire. In the United Methodist tradition, we can have this meal. And this meal looks very plain. But wrapped up inside it is ultimate grace. In the United Methodist Church, we have two sacraments. We have baptism, which we will perform for people of all ages, and we have Holy Communion. Both of them are outward and visible signs, tangible signs of that inward grace that we receive. But it is more than just the outward signs. 
For those of us that have experienced baptism, there was a piece of God's self that remained with us after the waters dried. Hence the laying of hands and the praying at the invocation of the Holy Spirit with baptism. And for those of us that receive Holy Communion, whether we actually take the elements within our vessel or not, by participating in the prayer of confession and the pardon, we too receive that grace. And a piece of God's self remains with us. And that is what we are receiving. But yet we get that by such ordinary means. How wise, divinely so, was God to ensure that the two sacraments that Christ would give us and take himself would be replicable all over the world by people of every age and nation. Water and fruit of the vine and fruit of the grain. Those things are available to all people. And they look different wherever you go. Now, the seminary that I attended, Drew Theological School in New Jersey, is a United Methodist seminary, and it has the single highest population of Korean Methodists in it. They come from Korea, and some of them stay. They come from Korea and go back to Korea. But a lot of Korean students, a third of the population were Korean. And the Korean caucus was very large, very active, and really well-fed. And so what they did was, at least once a semester, they would host chapel, and we always had communion at chapel, but we did it their way. So the first time I approached the chancel to receive, led by my Korean siblings in Christ, I was pretty shocked when they handed me a rice bowl. I hadn't had that before. That was a new experience. I've had a lot of things. I've had pita bread, I've had flatbread, I've had tortilla, I've had King's Hawaiian, one of my personal favorites, but I had never had a rice ball. And I stood there for a minute and went, huh, that's different. But yet it is a grain. It is fruit of the field. And so it actually made more sense. They don't grow a lot of wheat in Korea, but they do grow a lot of rice. And from the richest to the poorest of their people, they have access to that grain. And so they had made it lovingly and tenderly into those balls. And they handed it to us. And we were able to intinct into the chalice filled with nothing more Methodist than Welsh's grape juice and receive them both together. Now, there are other denominations that will stipulate very quickly that this must be either grape juice or wine, but it could be any fruit of the vine. I mean, I doubt you'll find very many churches using tomato juice or... Technically, you could even use cranberry juice, and we would all have very healthy systems. But it's not about everything being the same. It's about everyone having the same access to the gift. And that is what sometimes we overlook, that God is making sure that anybody who wants to receive grace, forgiveness for their sins, a tangible sign of God's eternal and provenient love for them, can have it. Because it's not about being perfect. It's about being perfectly loved. And that's what God does for us in this gift. Love us perfectly. And if you need any greater proof of that, when Jesus first gave us the sacrament of Holy Communion, he gave it to all 12 of his first apostles, including the one who would immediately leave and betray him. 
It's not about the giver being worthy. It's about the one that is serving us, perfectly loving us. Even now, the one who serves you is not perfect. You can go to any church in any denomination anywhere in the world, and no one who serves you is Christ. We serve in the name of Jesus Christ. We serve because we have been served by Christ. But we are no better than those who receive, which is why we too will receive. Because we recognize that the only perfect person in all of history was our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. And he taught us the standard of giving. Giving is about sacrifice. It is about fulfilling God's will and not your own. Which is why on the evening that he was going to be handed over and betrayed, after he gave communion, he went out into the garden and he knelt down. And he shared his very understandable feelings with God the Father. God the Son said to God the Father, I don't want to do this. I don't want to suffer and die. Life is too precious. But if that is your will, then it will be done. I will do what you ask of me. Setting the standard for anyone who would claim the name, the love, and salvation of Jesus Christ for all time. Are we here to do what we want to do as Christian disciples? Or are we here to do what God has asked us to do? And that is the thing that we wrestle with the most. We all have ideas of what our Christianity might look like. What our ministry, our mission work might portray. But ultimately, all of us of every age, every race, every nation... Every identity and category in all of society for all time have one purpose, and that is to be a vessel of Jesus Christ and to bear him to the world. Not just to bring him out and reveal him, but to give him freely to others. That is why both of the sacraments in the United Methodist Church are for anyone who wants them. And if you want God's grace, then it is yours. We are not arbiters of God's grace. In the church, I don't have to wait until you come up and try to determine whether or not you've been a good Methodist. Thank God that I don't. That instead, because I have been freely forgiven time and time again, I am able to freely give you the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And that is truly something that is special about this gift. If you want it, it is yours. Do you remember as you were growing up, looking at something and going, I really wish I could have that? I really wish somebody would give that to me. I hope and pray that one day that's the gift that I get. You don't ever have to wish about this gift. It is yours. It is yours every single time that you want it. I have seen people actually do a loop in a sanctuary and come back and get it again. We will give it to you. I have had people call me up on a Tuesday and say, can I get it today? Yes, you can. You want it, it is yours. But it's not just because you really enjoy the bread we use or you really happen to like Welsh's grape juice. People begin to ask for it and yearn for it and want it because they realize it is not just what's in the cup and on the plate. It's what's in the things that are in the cup and on the plate. When we invoke God's name and presence and the movement of the Holy Spirit to imbue those tangible and yet everyday elements, 
with God's presence and power and grace, it happens. I don't know why it happens. I don't even know how it happens. Another great thing about Methodism, I don't have to fully understand. It's a holy mystery. But I can tell you this. I have experienced it time and time again. I have had children serve me communion. I have had teenagers. I have had newly confirmed. I have had people of every age and generation serve me communion. And while every single server was different, the Christ that they handed me was the same. Eternal. Constantly willing to come to us. Constantly willing to forgive. To help us heal. Perhaps one of the most awful things that we experience in this life is that not only do our sins cause pain in other people and upset God, but they hurt us. And we have to be healed as well. And when we come here, this is divine medicine. It starts to heal our wounded spirits. It starts to heal those holes within our being that are so inclined to sin. It helps to heal our mind that thinks to ourselves, we cannot be loved, we cannot be forgiven, we cannot possibly ever stand before God, much less stay with God for all eternity. It starts to combat those voices, the ones that are in here, the ones that are in here, and the ones that are out there. The ones that say, you are not worthy, and nobody wants you. You are not good enough, and no one will love you. And when those voices come, may you hear the voice that said to you, you are mine. You are beloved. You are worth dying for and rising again. You are worth forgiving every single time. And that same voice that declares to all the world and every person that has ever existed, exists, exists now and ever will exist again, I love you. And that is here at the table. And so at a time when we are reflecting on gifts and whether we got what we want for Christmas or not, whether we gave the gift we really wished that we could give or not, and whether or not we truly appreciate the gifts that came on Epiphany, today we have the opportunity to experience once more a gift that is as eternal as God's love for us. A gift that says that the one who is giving it to us, all of us, loves us today as much as God loved us when we were in the womb, as much as God loved us the first time we manifested our sinful inclination, as much as God loved us the first time that we repented from our sin. God is going to love us this much every day of this life and every day of our eternal one. And you get to taste that today. Taste a little bit of God's grace. And God doesn't just give it to us so that we will forget about it. Because you'll leave here and some of you will go have brunch. Some of you will have lunch. Some of you will do whatever you're going to do for the rest of the day. And you might forget this. And perhaps that's one of the things that I love best about that anointing balm I told you about a little while ago is that it's very potent, and once you've anointed a bunch of heads in the sanctuary, you can definitely smell frankincense and myrrh. 
And once you've had it on your thumb for about two hours, you'll definitely smell it. But there have been times where I have forgotten about the anointing, gone on with my day. And maybe you've experienced this too, that maybe you'll turn too quickly or maybe you know, you'll move your hand in front of your face and you, you get that wafting aroma once more. And you're reminded for just a moment that you were blessed in God's name. And that those same gifts that were given to honor Christ were given to remind you how precious you are. And that is what a good gift does. It doesn't fill our homes. It doesn't adorn our bodies. It doesn't fill up our bank accounts or go into a safety deposit box. The best gift reminds us who we are to God. And that's the best gift that we can give. And Jesus, who knew that in a little while the world would no longer see him, wanted his beloved followers to remember that even when the world no longer saw him, they were going to see them. And so take me with you, Christ says. Take me with you in your heart. Take me with you in your earthly body. Take me with you in your spirit with which you bless the world. And give them what I have given you. Unbridled love. Exceptional forgiveness. And the willingness to go where you are needed, not just where you want to go. There is no greater example of the perfect gift than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That the monarch of monarchs, the richest ruler in all of Earth's history, came to be the slave of all of us, to serve all people, not just the 12 that immediately followed him, not just those that would be willing to die in martyrdom and persecution for his name, not just those that were wealthy enough to have it emblazoned on their tombstones, but for every single person. And if we as the church, this generation of the church, for the church renews its generations as the world renews its, and whether you are the greatest generation, the silent generation, the baby boomers, Generation X, Generation Z, Millennial, or Generation Alpha, you are Generation Alpha of Christendom. You are the latest generation. And other generations don't believe that they can be loved. Other peoples in this world don't know that Christ came for them as well. But they will, because you will show them. You will bear Christ in the world. And how you talk, how you act, how you choose to be with other people will make all the difference. You can give a gift now because of innovation and technology. You can give a gift and not see the recipient. All right? You can send a gift through FedEx, UPS, USPS. You can, you can send it online through email and text message now. You don't have to see the recipient. But have you ever wanted to be there when they got it? Have you ever wanted to be there and watch as they recognize what you have done for them? God is asking you to go and be there and witness what God is doing for others. And even more than that, 
God is asking that you be part of what God is doing for others. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.